0: Today's scripture reading is 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24 through chapter 7, verse 2. Afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Now, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor, from the wine press. And the king asked her, What is your trouble? She answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And on the next day, I said to her, Give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall and the people looked and behold, he had a sackcloth beneath on his body. And he said, may God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him. Now the king had dispatched a man from his presence, but before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, do you see how this murderer has sent to take off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door fast against him. Is not the sound of the master's feet behind him? And while he was still speaking with them, the messenger came down to him and said, this trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? But Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time of saia, a fine flower shall be sold for a shekel and two sails of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word.
1: Good morning, East Point Church. Good morning. Good morning. Praise the, praise the Lord. So good to see uh, all of you here this morning. If you are visiting here with us here at East Point Church, let me say to you how glad we are to have you and welcome to you. Pray the Lord would uh, encourage your heart, even if he, if if he hasn't done so already, that um, as we meditate upon his word, might he show himself um, uh, great and glorious and merciful God this morning as we meditate upon this merciful and um, God-glorifying word together. If you are here, uh, if there's anything that we could do for you while you are here and serve you in any way, please do not hesitate to ask us. It would be our pleasure to serve you in any way that we possibly could. Well, the word of God has been read in our hearing as we have been going through a series on... um, the prophets, Elijah and Elisha. Let us pray now as we meditate upon this last portion of 2 Kings chapter 6 that the Lord will make this word effectual in our heart this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, that you are a great God, that your promises are true, and that your mercy is great, that they're new, your mercies are new every morning. We thank you for your faithfulness unto your people we thank you that you have moved in mercy toward us and have forgiven us all of our sins and that now we stand accepted in the beloved not because of anything we've done Lord. we recognize it is only by your mercy it is only by your grace Be with us now as we meditate upon these things. Show us Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Um, What an unusual passage of scripture. I looked at it and I was like... uh, you know, there's probably some things in the Bible that the Lord probably don't intend us to preach on. <laughs> Somewhere down the road, somebody told us that we had to preach on everything in there. I think they lied to us. I think there's some things that just meant to be known. This is what happened. Move on. But then I'm meditating upon the scripture and the reason it is difficult, it is because it hits home and it hits to the heart of who we are and those things that we don't like talking about, namely sin. sin brings misery it's an important thing to remember as you study in the bible it's an important principle to remember you need to write it down sin brings misery god brings mercy those are two principles that are illustrated for us throughout the scriptures, and if we pay attention, they are illustrated in our lives every day. Sin brings misery. God brings mercy. Why is that important? That is important because you and I need to remember that without sin, there is no misery. but without misery there is no mercy mercy is goodness in the midst of misery to be merciful to someone is to to offer relief to that person or that thing in a very difficult or even miserable condition that's what it means to be merciful mercy is seeking someone in pain or or hurt or distress, and then offering them the help that is needed to alleviate that pain and that hurt or that distress. And so, when God moves or God is kind to save and saving sinners, what God is doing it is demonstrating mercy because sinners understand are perpetually in a condition of misery under the power and penalty of sin. And the only relief that comes from that is that God moves in mercy. When a person throws themselves upon the mercy of the court, what are they doing? What they are doing is that they are admitting to the guilt of their actions. And not only admitting to the guilt of their actions, but also knowing that they deserve the punishment that is due for their actions. But they are hoping that in the midst of this dire and difficult situation that the judge would be compassionate. That the judge would be merciful and not give them the punishment that they know their guilt deserves. That's mercy. That's why when we see a situation, a dire situation or a difficult situation or a distressful situation, the first words out of our mouth is, Lord have mercy. (laughs) We love to talk about it. We love to talk about the mercy of God. We love to sing about it. We sang about it this morning, about the mercy of God. We love to celebrate the mercy of God. Beloved, it is important to remember that the mercy of God is tied to the misery of sinners. Mercy is tied to sin. And mercy is great because sin is great. We are told that God is great in mercy. The Bible says over and over again that God is great in mercy. You know why God is great in mercy, beloved? Because we are great in sin. You know what the Bible says about God? that God is not stingy with His mercy. And He is not slow, that He is not reluctant with it. In Micah chapter seven and verse 18, the Bible asks the question, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? who do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Delights to show mercy. This is what we find illustrated for us this morning in our text, beloved. This is why we're going to meditate on this for a little bit. Because it's so illustrative and is so instructive that we see both the misery of sin and the mercy of God. The misery of sin and the mercy of God. According to the text that has been read for us, there was a great famine in Samaria. Okay? And, and, and the famine was not due to a natural disaster. It was not due to some unforeseen cause. There was a famine because Samaria, the capital of Israel, was under siege. It was under siege because King ben and his Syrian army had come against Samaria and they had cut Samaria off. No one in, no one out. They had cut all the trade routes off. They have ceased to to let in any supplies. The army of Syria treacherous army had surrounded the city and they were going to starve the Samaritans Sumer- the into submission apparently the siege had lasted for a while and was being successful how do we know this because things got desperate in Samaria. What we read about, beloved, is not something that happened the first day of the siege. Okay? By the time we are reading this account, things had gotten desperate in Samaria. The suffering had become intense and the people were beginning to crack. The siege was working. Misery had set in. And yet, and yet, it is also important to point out that the siege was not just because of the evil heart of King ben or the ruthless and the treacherous, treacherousness of the Syrian army. But beloved, King Benadad and the Syrian army were just instruments in the hand of God. They were tools for his judgment against Israel for her sin and against the king, Jehoram for his continued idolatry. Like his mother Jezebel, and like his father Ahab, Jehoram had continued their idolatrous ways. And he had remained unfaithful to Yahweh. And the judgment of God had fallen upon them for their sin. In other words, the Sumerian people were in misery because of sin. And everything in this passage screams misery. And if it screams misery, and it also screams the effects of sin and beloved it is not pretty it is not pretty but again it is both illustrative and instructive for us this morning both both misery and mercy are on display But before we get to the mercy of God, we have to understand the misery of sin. I think we jump too quickly to the mercy of God, and we don't appreciate it, beloved. We don't understand it. We don't understand how great it is because we don't understand the depth of the misery that is sin. So we're going to spend a little time there this morning. In fact, the famine was because the Syrians attacked. And the Syrians attacked because of God's judgment against Jerome and Israel. But, beloved, if we look closely If we look closely, everything about this situation reminds us. It should remind us of the nature of sin and its effects. Sin brings misery, 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 and they were in a miserable situation because of it. And I want to list for you, I want to list from you, for you from this passage five effects of sin that brings this misery. Beloved, this isn't pretty. And gonna, a whole bunch of, y'all not going to say amen. Nobody's going to go shouting. Because we don't want to meditate on it. But to understand the greatness of God's mercy, you need to understand the great misery that is sin. And the first thing that sin does, beloved, sin is despairing. Sin causes despair. Notice what it says at the beginning here. And there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a cab of seed pods for five shekels. There was despair. There was despair in the city. Despair is the loss of hope. And those caught in the grip of sin often feel hopeless. And this is the point of the siege, isn't it? This is why you have a siege. The point of the siege is to create hopelessness in the people who are besieged to create hopelessness. And beloved, that's what sin does. The longer it grips a heart or a a mind, it begins more and more to convince that heart and mind that life is meaningless, hopeless. Food was scarce. There was no nutritional value in what was left. Inflation was running out of control. Any wonder, beloved, when when things get like that in the economy, when the economy takes a deep dive and the deeper and deeper it dives, what do we call that? Depression? Depression? Why? Because it causes people to despair, to lose hope. And they looked around and they realized that no one is coming to the rescue. No one is coming to help. This is what the enemy does. He seeks to create in us, because our sin, a hopelessness. Ecclesiastes 4 Verses 1 through 3 reads, Again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declare that the dead who had already died are happier than the living, who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born. Who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. When that becomes a situation, beloved, people turn to alcohol, people turn to drugs, people turn to sex, people turn to whatever they can in hoping to alleviate the hopelessness. This is the misery that sin brings, beloved. The misery of hopelessness. And a people who have no hope will not long be a people. And so we see that sin not only brings hopelessness, but that hopelessness leads to discouragement. Sin is discouraging. It really is, beloved. And you see that in verses 26 and 27. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, my lord, the king. And the king replied, If the Lord does not help you, where can I get help from you? From the threshing floor? From the wine press? Listen, beloved, things had gotten dire in Samaria. And the king is out walking by the wall, and a woman cries out to him for help. King, the prices are high. Rent is out of control. And there is a scarcity of food. And all of this, beloved, led to the king's discouragement. The nation needed help. And the king was helpless. The nation needed hope. And the king was hopeless. No hope, no help. This is what sin does. Not only makes you hopeless, makes you helpless. When the woman asked the king for help, did you hear what he said? What do you want me to do? What can I do about it? I'm as helpless here as you are. In other words, beloved, he looked at her and he said, fixing sin is above my pay grade. And I know, I know, I know, beloved, we try. We try, but... If you're anything like me, you learn pretty quickly that your sin is not fixable. I, this, is, this is amazing, beloved. It's amazing how many people call a pastor and they think they're going to sit in his office and he's going to fix their sin. I can't tell you how many times people think if they just get counseling session two or three or four. Fixing your sin is above my pay grade. I've learned this in church. I've learned this in my family. As a parent, how frustrated have I been because I can't fix my children's sin. And you try, and you try, and you try. And you're helpless. I can't fix sin in the church. I can't fix sin in my family. Because you know what, beloved? I can't fix it in me. And the inability to fix sin is discouraging, beloved. It is discouraging. You want to do something about it, you want to help. When she comes to the king, How hard it was for him to look at that woman and say, What do you want me to do? I'm in the grips of this thing along with you. It's got me helpless too. That's what Paul said. An ability to fix things can be discouraging. And being powerless to stop the misery of sin, beloved, is discouraging. And Paul says in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 18, For I know, listen, listen to what the apostle says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. In verse 24, he says, What a wretched man that I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Do you hear him? Coming to grips with the misery of sin and the discouragement that comes from not being able to fix it. Beloved, just do it might work for Nike, but just don't do it doesn't work. doesn't work against sin. She had come to the king thinking the king would have a solution. And the king said, oh, wretched man that I am. Sweetheart, who's going to deliver me from this miserable condition? It's discouraging. It's despairing. Beloved, sin is destructive. It's destructive. In verse 28, the king looked at her and said, well, okay, what's the matter? What's the matter? And she answered and said, well, this woman said to me, give up your son so we may eat him today and tomorrow we'll eat my son now beloved this is the underbelly of it this is the ugly reality of sin sin kills sin destroys This has been sin and Satan's design from the very beginning. Jesus said in John 10 and and 10 that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And whenever, whenever, beloved, you see death, especially senseless, barbaric human death, it is sin and Satan seeking to undermine and destroy the creation of God. And this is the underbelly of it. Because nothing more exemplifies this than the slaughter and devouring of children. And this here, this here, beloved, more than anything else in this episode, exemplifies and is evidence of the curse and judgment of God. Because God told them that this would be the curse that would come upon you. This would be the judgment. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, beginning in verse 54, speaking to the nation, if they were ever to fall into idolatry, this is what would happen. Because of the suffering, your enemy will afflict on you during the siege. You will eat the fruit of the womb the flesh of the sons and daughters the Lord your God has given you. Even the most gentle and sensitive man among you will have no compassion for his own brother or the wife he loves or his surviving children. Now I want to make a point here. And that is the thought of this is so disturbing. How could they do such a thing? Why? Why would they do such a thing? Well, the one thing I have learned living in this body of sin is never say what you wouldn't do. Listen to me, beloved. After years of being in pastoral ministry and meeting with people and learning and seeing their struggles and honestly assessing the tendency of my own heart. I am convinced that you and I are capable of all manner of self destructive sin. I've seen it. I've felt it. And here is a dark glimpse into the heart of every man and woman this morning given, listen to me, given the right circumstances and except for the restraining gracious hand of God, except for the grace of God, there I am. There I am. You, you look at these women in this situation and the greatness of their misery cannot be understated. And except for the grace of God, there I am. I, I tell people all the time, I am not, I, I do not get amazed at what Christians do. That amazement left me a long time ago. Because I know and I've seen the depravity that yet remains in each of our hearts. And except for the grace of God there I am. You look at these women in this situation and you, are, you and I are quick to judge them because of the misery that they are suffering under. And yet the Bible reminds us over and over again, particularly in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, that there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And should God, should God remove his restraining hand from you this morning, Where would you be? What would you do? Sin is destructive. And if it was let to have full reign in your life, where would you be? What would you do? It's destructive. It's discouraging. It's despairing. And beloved, sin is deceitful. It's deceitful. You see that in verse 29. You Notice know, what the woman continued to say. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, now you give up your son, so we may eat him. But she had hidden him. <laughs> this is interesting. Because we do this all the time. We try to make or try to be honorable in our sin. This is why we have sayings like honor among thieves. Beloved, there's no honor among thieves, they're thieves. (laughs) There is no honor in sin. The honor itself is a form of deceit. These ladies made a pact to be honorable and to tell the truth In the midst of a miserable, sinful situation. And sin deceives us into believing that such a thing is possible. And the Bible is clear Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Sin is deceitful. That's what it says. Sin is deceitful. Matthew Henry put it this way Sin appears fair, but it's filthy. It appears pleasant, but it's pernicious. It promises much, but performs nothing. This is what we do. This is is what, because sin is deceitful and we get deceived by the deceitfulness of it. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20 says Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That's what we do. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness we put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's what we do. Because sin is deceitful. It sees us into believing it's good when it's bad. It sees us into believing that it's light when it's dark. Notice what Eve said when confronted with her sin. When God confronted Eve with her sin, In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 13, the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me. Well, no duh. No duh. Of course Satan uh, deceived you. Of course Satan tricked you. This is what sin does. This adds to the misery. This adds to the disappointment. This adds to the discouragement. This adds to the despair because sin is deceitful. As Run DMC would say, it's tricky. It's tricky. It's tricky, beloved. And because it's tricky, sin is confounding. It just confounds everything. You know? Sorry, sorry Bob, I couldn't come up with another D. So. D, 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 C. You got that? D-D-D-D-C right. notice what the king did in verse 30 chapter 6 when the king heard the woman's words he tore his robe And that, that, that was not what he was expecting he was, gonna, he was expecting her to ask him does he have any bread do you have anything to drink? Can you talk to my landlord? Can somebody around here pick up the garbage? When she told him about the deceitfulness and about the destructiveness of this situation, it totally, totally frustrated him, confounded him, and he tore his robe, and he went along the wall, and the people looked, and they saw that under his robe, he had sackcloth on his body. He was broken, absolutely broken, sin Had brought him low. And he was frustrated. Because he was helpless, because he was powerless, he didn't know who to blame. And, beloved, when there is no one else to blame for your pain and misery, what do you do? You blame God. You blame God. And rather than turn to God, he blamed God. Evidence, evidence of a sinful and frustrated heart. Rather than call upon Elisha for deliverance, the king called for Elisha to be destroyed. He blamed God. And since he couldn't get his hands on God, He's going to get his hands what he feels is the next best or worst thing. That's the man of God. And he put out a hit on Elisha. It sounds ridiculous, even insane. But that's what sin is, beloved. Irrational and ridiculous. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 3 says, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. That's where he is. His own folly has brought him and his people to ruin. And what does he do? He rages against God. Why? Because that's what sin does. Sin blames everything and everyone else for its misery. Everyone else for its misery. And because misery loves company, the king's life was miserable. Samaria was miserable. So now he was going to make Elijah's life miserable too. Because that's what we do. The frustration of my own sin causes me to frustrate the people around me. The frustration of my own sin because of my own misery, now I have to make sure that everyone else around me is miserable too. But notice, notice, beloved, notice, notice that Elisha, Elisha refused to give in to fear or frustration, discouragement or despair. And rather than misery, Elisha leaned upon mercy, the mercy of God, the mercy of God. Elijah understood as he heard about the misery that was in Samaria, he understood that the only cure for misery is mercy. That the only cure for the misery of sin is the mercy of God. When the reports got back to Elijah, when the, when the man, the messenger of the king, had come to Elijah and seeking Elijah's life. Elijah didn't offer words of retaliation. Elijah didn't offer words of threat. Elijah didn't offer words of judgment. Elisha, Elisha offered up the word of the Lord which was a word of mercy. In verse 1 of chapter 7, it says, Elisha replied, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a sea of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. When Elisha got the word of the misery, when he received the threat from Jehoram, when Jehoram's messenger had arrived with Jehoram close behind, what was his response? Lord, have mercy. God, have mercy. Mercy, again, is the goodness of God in the face of our misery. It is unearned. It is undeserved. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 23, the Bible says... The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. Afresh every morning. Listen, beloved. God is going to look kindly upon their misery and show mercy. Elijah says, listen, by tomorrow, the prices will go down. By tomorrow, the food will be available for the first time in a long time. By tomorrow, rent is going to decrease. And guess what? Even the Syrians are going to leave. Why? Why? Because God is merciful. Mercy is who God is, beloved. Listen, mercy is who God is. Mercy is his name. In Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6, the Lord, uh, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is merciful, and his mercy comes not out of stinginess. He is not a miser. It is his overflow. It's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, that he is rich in mercy. He has more than enough. And mercy, therefore, is everything that God does in the world. Everything that God does in the world is a manifestation of his mercy. Everything, beloved. Because since sin, everything in the world stands condemned. And every moment of every day That the world or you and I are not consumed is because God has been merciful. Everything, everything. It's what the psalmist says Psalm 145 and verse 9. The Lord is good to all. Stop. The Lord is good to all. There is not one person who deserves the goodness of God. And the Bible says the Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. All of it. All of it. This is Jesus, beloved. Mercy is Jesus in everything he did. Everything he did. Every act of Jesus was a manifestation of the mercy of God. To the woman at the well, he was merciful. To the 5,000 that he fed by the sea, that was his mercy. To the thief on the cross, that was Christ being merciful. To you and me every day. Every day, every day. The fact that you're saved this morning is a manifestation of the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. That's so what the Bible says, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Listen, beloved, listen, listen to me. Sin has brought everyone in the world into a miserable state. Everyone, everyone. In fact, we are born into it. And like Jehoram, we soon discover that there is no way of self-extraction. There is no way of self-deliverance. There is no such thing as self-help. There is no such thing as self-relief. I recall having a conversation with my Muslim friend, and we're going back and forth on the nature of God and and all and and the nature of revelation. And I just stopped and I said, Man, I just got one question. What do you do with your sin? Where is it going? Who is taking it away? like Shakespeare said. In the mouth of Lady Macbeth, they had conspired to kill King Duncan. And the guilt of her sin is heavy on her conscience. She's walking, sleepwalking through the palace. And you can hear her in her sleep say, out, damn spot out damn spot she's wringing her hands because there is no self extraction there is no self help there is no self deliverance there is no way out of that misery unless God opens a window in heaven and pours out his mercy mercy when Elijah said that God was coming in mercy, they responded, what are you talking about? Is there going to be a window in heaven? Yes, beloved. Because that is the only way that God would open a window in heaven and pour out his mercy and guess what that is just what he has done it's what he's done while (laughs) this is absolutely amazing beloved while jehoram was seeking to destroy elijah god was preparing to deliver his people Why is that? Because the people's sin never outshines or outdoes the mercy of God. Jehoram was coming to destroy Elisha. Elisha was already speaking the mercy that would deliver. God's people because beloved mercy came running even when you were running away from it that is the point Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 but God demonstrates his own love for us in this that while we were still sinners Christ died for us Christ died for For you while you were still worthy of death. Christ died for you before you realized that you needed Christ to die for you. This is the mercy of God. The mercy of God was in motion in your life before you even mentioned it. This is God's mercy towards you, beloved. God's mercy is God's plan to save you even before you know enough to ask. That's why we say mercy came running. Mercy, mercy comes running. When you seek God, you know what you quickly discover? God's been seeking you all along. When you call upon the mercy of God, you know what you discover? That mercy been running after you all the time. Like a prisoner set free, Past all my failures to the point of my need, when the sin that I carried was all I could see, And in the midst of my sin and mercy and misery, when I couldn't reach mercy, mercy came running after me. That's why we say it's great. That's why we say it's more. And we praise the Lord that His mercy is more, stronger than the darkness and new every morn. Our sins, they are many but his mercy is more. That's why we say great is his mercy unto me, because I am a great sinner, and his great mercy sets me free. Listen, 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 beloved, listen. The reason that mercy is great is because misery is great. It's because sin is great. But mercy is more. Mercy is more. Mercy is always, 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 beloved, always more let's pray heavenly father lord we thank you this morning